0: This is an EWTN News link. I'm Teresa Tomio from Catholic Connection. The Supreme Court begins a new term today. Justices have several high-profile cases coming up, including a case over Mississippi's law banning abortion at 15 weeks. The state has called this a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade, the court hearing arguments in December. During his Sunday, Angelus Address, the Holy Father urging the faithful to accept being small in order to grow big. The Holy Father saying greatness doesn't come from the illusion or pretense of self-sufficiency, but in the strength of placing all hopes in the Father, as children do. A pipeline leaking oil into the ocean off the coast of California is now shut off, but the damage, already done. More than 125,000 gallons of crude oil may have spilled, oil and wildlife starting washing up on coastlines along the coast near Los Angeles. I'm Teresa Tomio, and The Doctor is In with Dr. Ray Garendi. Starts now.
1: The Doctor is In is a co-production of Bobbi Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. How are you, sir?
2: This is Pierre. Oh. I can't believe I'm talking to you. Dr. Ray the Great. Well, I don't know about that. I love listening to you. You have a personality just
0: like my father.
2: I don't think you should feel helpless. You are helpless.
3: Doctor, I really appreciate that. That makes me feel a lot better.
2: You be at peace, or else I'm going to
1: yell at you. Trying to find a reason to speak
3: to you. I think you're the best thing since sliced Red. That Ray, he's something. Thank you so much for what you're doing for all the parents out there.
1: They don't know
2: what i can possibly do i don't either i'm getting my money worth i think
0: at this phone call
1: now from the studios of living bread radio network in canton ohio the hometown of mother angelica here's dr ray
2: how can you get your money's worth when you're not paying anything Sounds like a compliment, but you've got to know the context. She's getting her money's worth. She called in. Didn't cost her anything to call. We talked. Didn't cost her anything to converse. She hung up. Didn't cost her anything to hang up. She got her money's worth. Nothing. Good to have you. I'm Dr. Ray Goretti. Trying to give you your money's worth. You put your two cents in, and I'll give you your money's worth. Did you ever notice that? You ever, you ever notice that somebody says, well, I put in my two cents, but if somebody asks you, they only want half of that. A penny for your thoughts, but you give them two cents. Twice what they asked for. I don't know. I, this is the kind of stuff that keeps me awake at night. This is the doctor is in. This is E-Person Monday. Had to find a way, getting as many emails as we get calls. We had to find a way to do something with the email. I can't. I cannot sit down and type to each email. First of all, I type about 22 words a minute, and the only reason I took typing as a junior in high school is because two of the cutest girls were in that class. That's all. There was no other reason. And when I got up to 40 words a minute with three mistakes, I got a B. That's it, And neither of those girls talk to me anyway. Now I can backspace a lot faster. People say, "Well, you, you play the organ. Uh, why don't you, why aren't you good at the keys? Yeah, I keep hitting chords. It's a problem. So on this e-person Monday, we, I, I do try to answer every single one in some way. I'd say a third of them are asking for some kind of uh, referral to a Catholic counselor or therapist. In their area so I have several websites I share with them other people just they want to give a comment on something said good or bad and then I'd say 50% are situations and a lot of these come from the uh, the TV show on the TV show our producer Dick Russ says we'd like to hear from you send your comments or questions to drray.com and so people do And the reason I know this is because sometimes I will say, can you please call the radio show? I'd like to ask some questions. And I talk a lot faster than I type. And they'll type back. What radio show? I know. They weren't aware of it. And usually it's my relatives. Okay. So we'll get get to your questions. And I've got a follow-up e-person coming up from a gentleman who called the show and then emailed and I dealt with one of his emails a couple months back but this one is a little more detailed and it lends itself to an awful lot of commentary which is what I want to do you have heard I am sure because it is a shibboleth you never get to use that word very often shibboleth it's a catchphrase people use it a lot The experts fling it around all over the place, and it has the potential to be major league misleading and undercutting of standards. That phrase is, pick your battles, right? Pick your battles. In other words, you have to decide what you're going to expect, what you're going to enforce. How do you decide? Well, see, now that's where it gets sticky. Because my experience is, when many expert types say pick your battles, what they mean is let the little stuff go. If the kid rolls her eyes at you, she's not yelling at you. She's not cussing at you. She's not screaming. She's not being blatantly disrespectful. You're ridiculous, Mom! So, really, rolling eyes is eh, it's kind of a... Nonverbal, mild form of if you want to call it disrespect, so they would say, hey, just ignore that, just ignore it, or a three-year-old who throws a temper fit, just walk away, just pick your battles, pick your battles if, he, if he's not kicking anything or throwing anything, just 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 let it go, live with it for the twenty-seven minutes that it takes to burn out. The bedroom. bedroom is completely, totally trashed. It's awful. You're going to go in there. You're going to do like they did in Jesus' time where they tied a rope around the high priest who went into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer the sacrifice. And just in case he had some kind of medical problem in there, they, they couldn't go in, so they, they pull him out with a rope. You know, so that's what you do. You go into your kid's room, then you have somebody tie the rope around your waist in case you get in there and you can't get out because you're just kind of like sucked down like quicksand, like the old Star Trek, boldly going where no mom has gone before. Well, the experts, I've heard this. This is the dominant pick-your-battle attitude. Close the door. I always advise parents get a steel door. Animals can chew through wood. Close the door. It's it's the child's domain. Don't worry about it. But what if, what if you don't want part of your house below city health code? Do you have the right as a parent to say, I expect you to take care of your possessions. I paid for those possessions. Most of them, if not all of them. Is that a battle you're supposed to pick? See, here's where I think, Pick Your Battles can make sense. If it is something that is not a moral issue, it's not a responsibility issue, it's not a character issue, your four-year-old is watching something on TV and he's standing on his head looking between his legs. You may not like that, but what's he hurting? He's not He's not doing anything. He's just assuming this posture that he likes. My my son, when we would put him to bed, would stand on his head in the bed. Now, one could say, well, that's a little dangerous, isn't it? Yeah, he was leaning up against the wall. You know, he just kind of liked doing that. But he didn't get out of bed. And he didn't nag us for 27 drinks of water. He just kind of did that until he fell asleep. It was usually a couple minutes later. So for the most part, after we determined he was safe and not doing crazy things, he wasn't resisting bed. I, I didn't. I, I just shrugged my shoulders. So, in the sense that, if the behavior is irksome to you, but it isn't really a problem morally, responsibly, standard-wise, then yeah, you can pick your battle. You don't. You don't want to get on the kid for something that isn't really part of teaching him character. On the other hand, many experts kind of advise that you you let the little moral stuff go. They don't say it like that. That's the implication. There was a theory that was very, very successful in New York City. It's no longer the theory, and there uh, has been a concomitant rise in property crimes and violent crimes. The theory was the broken window theory of policing. For some period of time, the police overlooked what they called small offenses, you know, busted up windows and abandoned factories, you know, Couches put on the curbs and set on fire. And what they found was it created an impression that no big people were in charge. If you only dealt with the serious stuff, in essence you picture battles, then the little stuff was allowed to go pretty much unapproached, undealt with. And this this is happening, by the way, in, in certain cities in California where under a certain amount of shoplifting money, uh, just let it go. So what's happening, of course, the poor business people are watching stuff being taken out of their place because there's no punishment for it. So apparently they pick their battles. And what's happening, of course, is that it's getting very ugly. So I tell parents, if, for example, you want no disrespect whatsoever, then eye rolling or huffy sighing or or mumbling grumbling under their breath as they turn and walk away from you if you say that's not permitted that's rude well that's your decision you don't have to say to yourself yeah but she's also really disrespectful too so you know if i was if i was actually consistent about all the forms of her disrespect i'd be on her constantly no you wouldn't it's the broken window theory if you deal with it She learns this stuff is not acceptable. It's not to be tolerated. So you'll deal with it. Pick Your Battles has done a lot to undercut parents. It's basically said, lower your standards. Really. For example, I'll give you a classic example of this. Bickering siblings. Sibling quibbling. So let's say that they're mistreating each other verbally, but they're not punching each other. Okay, let it go. Let it go. Come on. Conflict resolution skills. They'll, they'll figure out how to resolve whatever it is they're bickering about. Nobody's, nobody's getting really physically hurt yet. So I'll just pick my battle and kind of ignore their mistreatment. Well, here's the question. Do you want them to mistreat a sibling? Is that good? Well, but it's not as bad as punching. Well, I agree with you there. But is it good to call a sibling a name, to torment a sibling about her weight, to put down a sibling, to taunt a sibling? Is that good? Well, yeah, but they're not, they're not, I mean, I mean, they love each other. I don't doubt that. But is, it still We're back to the original question, is it good to mistreat a sibling? If you say no, then that is a battle you have to pick. That is something you have to enforce. You can't mistreat a sibling. Here's what I'm going to do about it. No mistreatment of a sibling. Now, I know the dominant mindset among so many experts is let them figure it out themselves. Natural. Natural for siblings to brawl and bicker and carry on. Natural. Let them resolve their issues. Yeah. Well, if you do that, the more dominant sibling's going to win. So that's a battle you have to pick, isn't it? Pick your battles, if you're not careful, will basically mean lower your standards. Now, one point here to make before I close pick your battles means enforce your standards. It doesn't mean yell and remind and nag and get wordy about them because that can create the image of you're on them constantly but that's not discipline that's just words and emotion well I'm going to pick my breaks and I went way past my break so I'm going to pick a later break I'm Dr. Ray
3: They're showing reverence to God. All this was reverence. Now what do I see? I hear one irreverence after another. And week after week, month after month, the media churns out things that make fun of religion in general and make fun of Christianity in particular, and particularly make fun of the Catholic Church. No class. Absolutely no class. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic.
2: Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Ray. My latest book, Jesus, the Master Psychologist, Listen to Him, talks about how Jesus was 2,000 years ahead of modern enlightened psychology. If he's God, he knows the absolute best way to live, whether psychology agrees or whether it doesn't. Go to AveMariaRadio.net to get your copy. Jesus will tell you the best way to live. Thank you for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. I don't like making plans for the day. and My wife said, do you make a list? And you going to decide what you're going to do for the day? And I said, no, no. I think the word premeditated gets thrown around too often in the courtroom. You know, makes me nervous. Good to have you. This is uh, E-Person Monday. I feel compelled to explain my reasons for calling it E-Person. Because E-mail, even though it's spelled differently, it's a homonym.
3: Uh,
2: I just feel uneasy just saying email. It's, it sounds so linguistically insensitive and patriarchal. So I don't want to do that. I want to make sure that I'm sensitive. So it's e-person. The story behind this particular e-person, get to it right here, is that Mike called, oh, this was, this was quite, quite a few months back, He was very frustrated with his two sons, very, very frustrated. He was spending an enormous amount of time in what looked to be discipline. A lot of friction, a lot of arguing, a lot of nagging. He he was frustrated. The boys were doing all kinds of things that just were making family life unpleasant. And Mike was worried that uh, this is not going along the virtuous path that I wanted as a parent. So we talked a little bit, and I I don't know, I don't remember if he purchased my book Discipline That Lasts a Lifetime. But in the call, I think we talked about Mike. You got to get rid of all the words. You got to get rid of all the negotiation. You got rid of all the arguing, all the re-reminding, all the nagging, all the stuff that is masquerading as discipline. It feels like discipline. It sounds like discipline. It's not discipline. It's scolding. It's warning. It's threatening, it's nagging, but it's not discipline. So why would you just do this? You want you something so simple, just simple, real 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 simple. Make a request for the boys to either do something or not do something. And then go to the corner. And if they resist the corner, you take away all privileges until they serve their time, which is longer now because they refused. Now most kids will eventually Take their discipline because once they're shut down or blacked out, they're going to eventually go, All right, no mas, no mas. Now he writes me because this is like a second or third email Mike's written. I've continued to manage my son's behavior very effectively. I've been making them stand in the corner for over six months now, and the long term changes have been wonderful. All right, comment time. Many parents fear that if they are consistent in something like this, that the kids will become automatons. They'll become robots. And I've seen so many experts talk like this, which is, oh, all you're doing is just getting acquiescence. That's all you're doing. You're not teaching anything internally. What you're doing is just making the kids obey. And I've even heard that from a lot of Christian sources where they would say, all that's happening here is just discipline. There's no internalizing. Yes, there is. Of course there is. Because with the ugliness that was going on, you've got to stop the ugliness. If you're drinking sour milk, you don't go, well, I think it's sour, but I'll just take a sip every so often. You stop completely. And what was happening between Mike and his sons was that the relationship was getting so unpleasant that he had to find a way to pull the plug on the unpleasantness so the pleasantness has room to fit in. And he says, the long-term changes have been wonderful. And these are honest changes. One of the more common things I will hear from parents in my office, after we get them in a little bit more discipline control, they'll come in and they'll say, this kid is so much more pleasant He's not, he's not stifled, he's not angry, he, he's more pleasant, he's more affectionate. Some of them will say, I, I, don't, I don't know who I'm living with. Mike goes on. Every August I go fishing with three other buddies. We've been doing this for over 20 years. We also bring our sons on this trip. Altogether there are five sons who come. Two are young adults, one is 14 and then mine. Now, I don't remember the exact ages of Mike's kids, but I think it's right around, I don't know, uh, 12, 11, 10 to 7 or 8, like oh that. Last summer, my sons fought all the time, and my buddies suggested I not bring them next time. Now, this happens a lot, by the way. You see, you may be able to put up with and tolerate and overlook your children's ugly behavior, other people don't. They're not their children. They don't have the same emotional attachment to them. Okay? So, let me try this. This is what happens. Okay, I can do that now. What happens is I'm reading this off my phone. And then a call comes in that says spam risk. So I have to learn how to get rid of the spam risk. And I did. Quick. I was hurt, Mike says. But I couldn't blame my friends. When this trip came around this year, I mentioned to my buddies that my sons are much better behaved now, and if they start acting up, I'll pack up the truck and head home with them immediately. Now, Mike was smart there, because he told the guys, you don't, you're don't. you not going to have to put up with this. If this happens, I'll remove them and me from the situation, which made it much more likely that his friends were going to say, okay... Now, by the way, I have seen families who take vacations together with other families. And I've seen the reluctance, if not the, the pullout of the vacation because they don't want to deal with one of the other family's kids. They can make it so unpleasant. And in large part, it's the parent's fault because they, they allow it. They allow it. The guys were mind-blown. Of course, my boys weren't perfect, but they were really well-behaved. I had a long talk with them on the drive up, and they, they actually asked me if they could do their corner time when we returned home. In other words, the old, uh, the uh, jails are overcrowded, we're going to give you a slip and show up in uh, eight months. No, of course, this happened in our home when we had the 10 kids under 12. The corners got so backlogged that we used to give up slips of paper, show up next Wednesday, 2 a.m., you got corner time, we developed the halfway couch program. We would be gone for five days, and it's impossible, Dr. Ray, for my sons not to end up in the corner, and I told them no, that if needed, they would be made to stand in the corner. That's the one thing about corners. They're everywhere. You can't go anywhere without a corner unless you go in a grain silo. An empty grain silo. There's no corners in there, but every place else has corners all over the place. And those of you with little four-year-olds and you're at a restaurant, the restroom has corners, does it not? If you're a church, there's corners in the restroom. Or if you're near a classroom in the church grounds, there's corners there. One thing nice about it. But the other thing Mike did was this. I think it's really smart. He told them, "This is what I'm going to do, guys." Now, parents will say to me, "Well, wouldn't that be putting ideas in their heads?" <laughs> no. <laughs> they already got that idea in their heads. They've been doing it for a long time. You're not telling them anything they don't know. You're telling them what will happen if that idea in their heads make it into makes it into action. That's what you're doing. You're not. You're not giving any ideas. Parents will say that. They'll say, "Well, you know, if I if I tell them what I'm going to do, if we go into the grocery store, then when when what happens when we get home? Don't you think that's kind of like setting up an expectation that they're going to misbehave? Uh haven't they been misbehaving a lot in the grocery store? Yeah, that's a problem. Well, no, then you're not telling them anything they haven't thought of. I got more to go on this. There's a lot more to say. I'm Doctor Ray. This is the Doctor Is In. This is E Person Monday.
1: Sixty seconds with Father Mitch Pacwa. The state has responsibility to orient things, but they can't take over the rights of the family, like in China, to have one child and that's it. It's a disaster over there. How many tens of millions of abortions have gone on? And one of the things that, as a result of that, is because of the preference to have boy children rather than girls, you have, for every thousand boys, are eight hundred fifty girls. This is a great imbalance. Same thing is going on in northern India. So this is where the government cannot take away the primary and inalienable responsibility of married couples and families. And they cannot employ methods which fail to respect the person and fundamental human rights. Beginning with the right to life, the government cannot force you to kill innocent human beings and still be a humanistic government. It's an evil government. The people you know and
3: trust are on EWTN.
4: What is the perfect prayer? The prayer that was taught us by the Lord Jesus himself, the Our Father. The Catholic Catechism cites the Our Father as truly the summary of the whole gospel. St. Augustine writes, Run through all the words of the holy prayers, and I do not think you will find anything in them that is not contained and included in the Lord's Prayer. The scriptures, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, says the catechism, are all fulfilled in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. St. Thomas Aquinas gives equally high praise to the Our Father. The Lord's Prayer, he says, is the most perfect of prayers. In it, we ask not only for all the things we can rightly desire, but also in the sequence that they should be desired. The rightness of our life in Jesus will depend on the rightness of our prayer. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism.
2: Pretty bad when you can start knowing the uh, tune on your bumper music. I'm Dr. Ray. Thanks for joining me here on the Doctor's in Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Co production EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and Avi Rear Radio Communication. I'm in the midst of a e-person sent to me by Mike. Quick, quick summary to give you some context in case you're just tuning in, which which is a problem. If you're just tuning in, you're going to have psychological gaps because you really missed the first half an hour. It's all right. That's all right. could get you to limp along psychologically here. Mike had some troubles with his, I think it was 8 and 11-year-old. That was roughly the range. And <clears throat> we talked, and I gave him some suggestions for discipline. He liked He liked using a corner. It was simple. It was easy. And he just came back from a trip. Uh, a fishing trip, and his buddies last year did not want Mike to bring the boys. Uh, the boys were just a problem the whole time. It was ugly, and his three buddies said, "Just keep keep your boys at home." And Mike said, "Things have changed radically. Uh, I've been I've been much better in my discipline. The boys have been responding radically well." Now Mike's been doing it for six months, so this maybe tells you how long ago the call was, and the. On the way up there, the boy said, uh, okay, can can we do any corner time when we get back home? They didn't want to do any corner time while they were up there fishing on the trip. And Mike said, no, nope, no, nope. you going to do it here. And he warned him. He said, what's going to happen is if you guys carry on and then you don't take your consequences and there's an ugliness, we're leaving. All right. I'm not sure if I told you, Dr. Ray, I've also been making them write lines for punishment. I must not, dot, 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 X times. They hate doing this as much as going to the corner. I told him I forgot paper, so if they get lines, those can be done at home. Now, you've got to hope, Mike, they don't really carry on because they get home to have 27,265 lines. You know, you've got to put a cap on it somewhere. Anyway, the boys were great. I sent them to the corner a few times. My older son was there four times. Now, that's not bad for five days. It really isn't, less than once a day. He's 12 now. My buddies were so impressed with their behavior. One guy who suggested I not bring him last year. When I made my oldest stand in the corner for leaving his garbage outside, there are bears in the vicinity, he pleaded his case. Oh, Dave, wait a minute. You see the irony here? Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. The guy who said, don't bring your boys... Next year, they were bad. So then, Mike disciplined his son for something he was just slipshod about. (laughs) The guy who said, don't bring them, uh, is not only impressed with how well they're behaving, but he also said, oh, come on, give the kid a break. Now, wait wait a minute, wait a minute. This is the old, you're being too strict. Wait a minute, you, you told me that you didn't even want him around so now i'm doing the kinds of things that are making much making him much more pleasant to be around and you're saying don't do that <clears throat> my wife got something similar once she she somebody told her she was too strict okay with the kids she she expected too much and then later that same person told her gee you have such well-behaved kids such nice kids And my wife didn't say anything, but she told me later, she said, you know what I wanted to say? Am I too strict? Or are my kids so nice to be around? It can't be both. It's a good point. All right. I ignored Dave, and I insisted that my son visit the corner. Later that night, when the boys were sleeping, I explained to him that the corner is to thank for their improved behavior, and if they need to stand there, it is imperative they do. Anyway, we had an awesome trip. handful of corner trips. My sons loved it. My oldest had to write lines at home and did them as soon as we got back. My buddies invited them back, and all was good. Doctor Ray, this is completely because of the corner and my consi- commitment to consistency in sending them there. No, Dave, there, or uh, Mike, there's more than that. You eliminated probably eighty to ninety percent of the friction and the ill will that was happening between you and the boys. Sure, the corner was a medium for you to act instead of yak, but what you did is you pulled the plug on, forgive the mixed metaphors here, on so much of the conflicted relationship between you and the boys. It got much more pleasant. And with that ugly interaction, the boys were much more likely to misbehave. So it wasn't just the corner that brought about the improvement. It was the better relationship. I haven't yelled at them in ages, and I'm not exhausted all the time. There you go. Now, by the way, there are so many parents like Mike was. So, so many. I don't know why this is. I've wrestled with it. I've written books about it, explaining it. But there are so many parents that are just so frustrated, discipline-wise, with their kids. Yeah, they're frustrated because they're kids. Kids are unsocialized, undermoralized human beings when they're little. That's the way it is. But the discipline stuff is what really frustrates parents. parent. The boys probably stand in the corner once a day for 15 minutes. They almost always follow the rules. Quiet, nose in the corner, and they never turn around. Six months ago, remember how often they stood there. Occasionally, we have what my wife calls a corner-free day. (laughs) And occasionally, we have days when the corners are busier than usual, but those are more the exception than the rule. My neighbor still comes by occasionally, and we'll see one of them being punished and doesn't say boo. What he's alluding to is that he has a neighbor who, when he started using the corner for discipline instead of yelling and arguing and screaming. The neighbor thought that was awful. Just awful that you would do this to your boys. How unfeeling, how insensitive. How could you? You're just forcing them to comply. You're not teaching them anything. The neighbor, neighbor sounded like he was full of all kinds of enlightened cliches. So the neighbor... Now has to explain, as he's probably noticed, that the boys are a lot more pleasant to be around. And that's the irony: the very people who will critique your very fair, legitimate, calm, consistent discipline, attached to high standards, are the ones who are slow to acknowledge that it was the very things that you are doing that are helping to create the kind of kid that they say they like. It's an irony. I have noticed that some people do put two and two together and get four and acknowledge that what you're doing is working to not only lessen the discipline problems but to make a nicer kid. Dr. Ray. Now, catechism wisdom with me, Dr. Regerendi and Father Larry Richards. Father Larry, church talks a lot about charity, right? Let me read to you something that the catechism says, section 2447. The works of mercy are charitable actions by which we come to the aid of our neighbor in his spiritual and bodily necessities. Instructing, advising, consoling, comforting are spiritual works of mercy. My profession says that we need to have people meet our needs. Now, this here seems to be a little, I don't want to say antagonistic, but maybe (laughs) contrary to that.
3: The way of the world says me, me, me. The way of God says you, you, you. And when we sit there and we focus on the reality, it's in giving away your life, Jesus says, you find life. That is so anti-world, isn't it? I serve to... Feel better? Exactly. That That's where we get everything. It's in giving away your life that you find life. That's the cross. That's the way of Christianity. That's
2: contrary to conventional wisdom. Yeah, and that's
3: the point. <laughs> okay. Well, enough Haven't said there. Yeah, I'm again. sorry. You know, catechism puts things on its head according to conventional wisdom. Absolutely. Jesus comes and changes the world and turns the world upside down and says, you want life, then you give away life. And it's in that that we find true life. It's in serving that we become more fully who we are. As God left heaven, if you will, became a man and gave his life for us. And when we do the same, just as he found eternal life in his humanity, so will we. A life of self is a wasted life. God says, I'll take care of number one. You take care of others. And when you give away and you live a life of service, that's when you're going to find life. So others are number one. You got it. I have a thing that says... Uh, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. The life of joy, huh? That's the exact opposite of what the world says, but when you do that, you will have a joyful life.
2: Thank you for joining me here. Dr. Ray Grendy, the program The Doctor is in, E-Person Monday. Got a big stacked email in front of me as well as the phone scroll. Although I just like the feel of the paper. Something about it. Matter of fact, I write all of my books <laughs> in cursive. Every other line on the paper. Yep. By the way, I read somewhere there is some research that indicates that there is something about the muscular mechanical process of actually writing the words that helps formulate better thoughts as opposed to typing them out on a keyboard. I stand confirmed. Dr. A., how can I respond to a neighbor's schizophrenic relative when that relative is having a, quote, episode an example he showed up on a neighbor's swing set just staring at the neighbor's house he sometimes will walk in circles yelling if he shows up in my yard yelling, staring at the house or something similar how best can I respond the goal would be to get him back to his relatives house he's an occasional visitor I think she means an occasional visitor to her backyard. Not a permanent resident. He's never been aggressive, to my knowledge, and I've just been told he's schizophrenic. Well, again, schizophrenia is a very broad term, and it can encompass a lot of uh, symptoms breaking with reality. He and I have had congenial conversations, but it is obvious his brain isn't working quite right. Yes, that that's true. Uh, we do... Pretty much know that chronic schizophrenia, not a transient episode, which can which can look like schizophrenia but has other causes, and 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 can resolve itself and not again appear. I mean, drugs are a very common aspect of that, but chronic is pretty well established. This is a neurochemical dysfunction. There is something not working in the very complex neuronal pathways of the brain. And we used to think it was a presence or an absence of a certain amount of neurotransmitter. But now we realize it's probably more the mechanical, or I'm sorry, more, more the metabolite type interactions. We're, we're just getting to understand it. He walks with his head forward and down, looking up through his eyelids. Sometimes the deputies show up and take him away, but I've never observed an extreme episode, and I don't want to. And I don't want to be the cause of one. So what it seems that our writer is asking is that is there a danger that I might say something that could provoke an acting out episode that he would get agitated? Well, the staring at the house may have a paranoid component to it, it may not. Sometimes there's just a certain amount of hyper-focus that is there in schizophrenia, and the person is not caught up in an unrealistic hypervigilance, a paranoid-type ideation where they're thinking, the people in that house know exactly what I'm doing, and they shouldn't be doing that. Now, I don't know if that's the case for you it doesn't sound like it because he's never had a threatening episode. And I don't know how long you've, you've lived near this neighbor. Um, there wouldn't be a problem if you choose to go outside when he's on your swing set. Um, where did you say that? Starting at the house, message going? Oh, okay. You don't have a swing set. You, he just shows up in your yard. Um, you can you can keep an eye on him and make sure that he's just kind of roaming through the yard, looking at your plants or whatever it is, and then ultimately just leaves. You can do that. Or if you notice that he's just standing staring at your house for a period of time, you can you can go out and say, hello, Sam, how are you? How are you doing? You don't need to say, why are you staring at my house? You need to go back home. You don't have to do that. You can just say, hey, hi, how are you? kind of let him know you're there, maybe maybe to break up whatever it is that he is thinking in his head that is, is going in a ruminating cycle. You can do that. And as long as you approach him in a very friendly way, I don't suspect, I mean, the chances are minuscule, that you're going to fling him into some overt psychotic episode. Now, the fact that the deputies show up and take him probably for 72 hours to be committed to get stabilized probably indicates that in fact he goes through periods of agitation and where this agitation happens he becomes a, a little more uh, unreachable and his mother or whomever it is that's his main caretaker says okay I recognize the signs that we've got to get him stabilized or perhaps perhaps he refused to take his medication and he decompensated which means he just got a little worse in his symptoms you're not going to precipitate a psychotic episode in all likelihood if you just walk out your sliding glass door in the back and say hi john how are you today good to see you you know thanks for stopping over the in- the indication is you're just you're just viewing it as a temporary Stop over, visit, that's nice, and you go back to the house. Uh, you, you don't... I mean, I, when I worked at the uh, state institutions back when we had those, uh, you know, a lot of the guys were still actively psychotic. They they couldn't be stabilized on the medications that we had at the time. We only had uh, a lot of very sedating type medications. They act as, a, as an overall blanket on the person's uh, cognitions. So... I had to talk to the guys and in many respects uh, had conversations and as long as we didn't drift too far into their delusions or paranoia or they didn't get so confused that I couldn't follow them most of the time we had a reasonable conversation you know when someone is out of touch with reality because of their illness they're not out of touch all the time and they are able to maintain some contact with reality. And when they deteriorate so much that they can't, then that's probably when you see the deputies showing up. I'm
1: Dr. Ray. I'll be back. Solidarity HealthShare began out of the Christian tradition of neighbor helping neighbor. They're a non-profit medical cost-sharing ministry in which their members share in each other's eligible medical expenses. Solidarity HealthShare is not insurance, but rather an alternative way to pay for medical costs that adheres to the teachings of the Catholic Church. They'll never share in a medical care that goes against their values and morals, such as abortion, contraception, and sterilization. More information available at SolidarityHealthShare.org or at 844-313-4999. I get frustrated mail from listeners who are worried, angry, upset, embittered against the medical establishment, the CDC, the NIH, the Pope, the bishops. And so I've been asked many times about what what, what do you think, vaccination or not. First of all, my advice is real simple. Go ask your doctor. Now, on the moral side of it, my advice is equally simple. Listen to the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which is there to help guide our conscience. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has made it clear that Catholics can receive the current vaccines without fear of formal cooperation with evil. This is the traditional Catholic position, which is accustomed to making fine distinctions between active and passive material cooperation, between formal and material cooperation with evil. The moral duty to avoid passive material cooperation with evil is not
3: obligatory if there is a grave danger such as the pandemic. Cresta in the afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio.
1: Okay, I've been a Catholic for five years, but I suffered under a lot of things due to my
3: Protestantism as a Pentecostal, and I just want to personally ask God to bless you for your ministry.
1: For everything you do and the help that you
0: give people.
4: EWTN, helping people grow in their love and understanding of God.
2: Let's get to this e person rather quickly. My question is concerning responding to a narcissist. Now, I've done monologues on this, and I've said that this, this word is flung around very freely. And when I've said that, a lot of people have said, well, no, 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 you don't realize how difficult those, those folks are to live with. No, I didn't say they're not difficult to live with. I'm just simply saying that we tend to call somebody a narcissist who is self-centered or self-absorbed, lacks empathy for others, and in a clinical way, in the extreme, that can be a definition. But much of the time, it doesn't reach that. Well, this particular writer thinks it has. After a very lengthy and ugly divorce, subsequent 15 years in and out of family court system, my husband petitioned them at least once a year. I petitioned for an annulment for my husband. During that process, we had to go through an examination by a Catholic psychologist or psychiatrist. I can't remember which. When I received my annulment, I discovered it was due to my husband being diagnosed as a borderline personality with narcissistic tendencies. I've listened to you talk about narcissism, but I haven't yet heard you talk about the best way to respond to narcissists. Well, that's because it's behavior by by behavior. It's attitude by attitude, emotion by emotion. You don't say, okay, this person has been called a narcissist, therefore... What we do is we say, here are the strategies to best deal with them. No, there are strategies to better deal with someone, but it really depends upon what they confront you with. I now wonder how much of my marriage failure was due to my nearly complete capitulation to my husband's demands. He was rarely happy with me. My question is, how how can someone best handle this kind of personality? What is my moral responsibility in the failure of my marriage? Well, the church has ruled that, in fact, after your divorce, there there was reasons for an annulment because at the very beginning of your marriage, there were things that were impediments to a full free commitment. I think my pacification only made his behavior worse not better. You don't know that. You don't know that because you do not you have nothing compared to. You don't know what it would have gotten like had you resisted and fought back, which I'm thinking you might have been considering. Now someone might say, "Well, no, I'm not talking about fighting back. I'm just talking about firmly standing your ground." Perhaps. But we don't know that. Our children are still trying to varying degrees to have some sort of relationship with their father and are having difficulties with this. Well, that's not surprising. If he's as difficult as you say he is, then I would think that would pretty much characterize any relationship he has. It took me years to get past my anger, dare I say, rage at this man for the damage he did to me and our children. Now I need advice to give to my children on how best to handle their father. Well, I, I can't give you a formula. But in part, I might say, if you know he does a lot of nasty things, says a lot of nasty things, and then you've, you've got to work. If you're going to have a relationship with him, you've got to work at not giving him the power to make you feel rotten or emotional or in your case all that rage you know your rage was because he ripped you off he, you did not get a marriage like you had hoped you would get so during that time he did so many things that you became miserable about and you felt the way i was treated the way it all went down what what a waste of time well as i have often pointed out that when you're dealing with somebody who's a very self-centered Thoughtless, difficult, lacks empathy. One of the first things you got to do is lower your ability to be made miserable by what they say. You can do that. You have it within your power. I'm now in a much better place mentally, and I've begun to understand through my Catholic faith that I'm still morally obligated to try and help my children with honoring their father. Well, yes. But but honoring their father means giving him the respect that is his due because he was in a position to be their father. It does not mean that they have to acquiesce to things that he wants or demands or that are, that are morally wrong. It doesn't mean that they have to be manipulated or that they have to tolerate behavior that is, that is quite ugly or that is... Um, putting down who they are or critiquing them. That enough. They don't have to do any of that. That doesn't come under the heading of honor thy father. Honor thy father means I'm not going to retaliate to you. I'm going to pray for you. And where I can, I'm going to try to get along with you if you permit it. But it doesn't mean that my relationship with you is going to be smooth. And there will be times, most likely, in this relationship where I'll have to say, hey, Dad, I'll see you later. It's getting ugly. People get confused. They think honor thy father and mother means that you have to acquiesce to their every demand when you're an adult, to their every demand, their every guilt tactic that they might try. Or you have to put yourself in a position to be critiqued, put down, hurt. You don't. You may not sever the relationship, but you want to get to the point where what used to make you react so strongly to something he said or did doesn't do that anymore. It doesn't have the power to do that because you recognize this has happened many, 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 many times before. And it's probably going to happen many times again. But once you come to that conclusion, believe it or not, you are less vulnerable to being yanked around emotionally by the unpredictable behavior of this father or this mother. It still remains in our power, much on how we will react to how someone treats us. Got to go. I appreciate the company. I thank you so very much. I'm Dr. Ray. Walk with God. Hold Him tightly by the hand. Just keep walking.
1: For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
3: A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Archbishop Gustavo invites all medical doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals, and medical students to the Healthcare Professionals Mass on Monday, October 18th. On the feast day of St. Luke, join the Archdiocese of San Antonio in celebration and gratitude for all healthcare professionals. The Mass will include a renewal of the Hippocratic Oath in celebration of Spiritual Care Week. For more information, call Jessica at 210-734-1653. Hi, this is Donnie Walker with Donnie Walker Real Estate powered by Keller Williams City View, proud supporters of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Through the intercession of the patron saint of real estate, St. Joseph, we strive to follow his example on how we take care of our clients. For more information, Please consider calling us at 210 378 0878. 210 378 0878. Thank you and God bless you. And St. Joseph, pray for us. Do you or someone you know have a loved one struggling with addiction? Pierced Heart Ministry of St. Helena Catholic Church is a confidential and support ministry for people suffering from addiction. They meet every Tuesday at 6.30 in the Dolan Center or by Zoom. For more information, please contact Ms. Pat Lamoureux at 210-323-1812. Mary, Queen of Families, pray for us.
1: This is 89.7 FM KJMA Radio, Floresville,
3: San Antonio. Also online at grnonline.com. We don't mess with the truth. Hear it. Love it live
1: it. Radio network with your GRN family minute. St. Bernard of Clairvaux wrote in dangers, in doubts, in difficulties. Think of Mary call upon Mary while invoking her. You shall never lose heart. So long as she is in your mind, you are safe from deception. While she holds your hand, you cannot fall under her protection. You have nothing to fear. If she walks before you, you shall not grow weary. If she shows you favor, you shall reach the goal. That goal, of course, is her son, Jesus Christ. Please join us each evening, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 8.30 p.m. Central Time, as we pray the rosary together as the GRN family.